0: Good morning, Whitewater. Yeah, just really an honor and a privilege. Uh, uh, Years and years ago, like six years ago, um, uh, we just had this dream of planting churches, and uh, we talked about it. So, you know, you guys are uh, that church plant uh, that um, Bethany really dreamed about. Bethany is the church that I'm the lead pastor in, so this is really exciting, and uh, we're talking about that next one. Be praying for that, and. Uh, you guys are in this series in the Psalms. I love the Psalms. The Psalms are the prayers of uh, God's uh, people, um, uh, Israel and uh, the church for thousands and thousands of years. Uh, when you divide them up, uh, probably the easiest way or the way that I do it is between laments and praises. Laments are, um, uh, oh God, I'm really in trouble, help me. And then praises are, "Oh, thank you God for getting me out of trouble. And uh, I learned years ago to pray the psalms. I pray the psalms every month, and so I really love them. And one of the things uh, I I always say, and I picked it up from someone. I I didn't come up with this, but it really is true, is um, I never pray unless I'm in trouble. But because I'm in trouble all the time, I pray all the time. And and I just find in life, you know, that either you are uh, headed into trouble or you are in trouble, or you're just coming out of trouble. So, uh, we're going to be looking at a psalm that's a lament about conflict. You know, it's a, oh God, help us. Uh, if you'd turn to Psalms 46, Psalms 46, and then, um, by the way, we're really uh, celebrating uh, our grandson, uh, Wesley William. It's really exciting. Uh, to have him come like nine days early, and uh, he 's just super healthy and it was just really awesome he 's kind of like the miracle baby uh, George and sarah i don 't know the story, but they 've had uh, they 've lost four babies in miscarriage the last one was twins, and you know just like is this going to happen? We just really cried out to the Lord and then uh, you know august nineteenth uh, Wesley was born, so just like super excited and you know there 's people you know there 's like two different types of people when it comes to babies. Uh, there's the ones that look at the baby and they say, "Oh, that has the nose of Uncle, you know, Aaron, and oh, that has the ears of, you know, Grandma." And you know, and they kind of analyze how the baby looks—more like a mom, more like a dad. Then there's people like me that just say, "It's a baby, you know, and it's got—it's got everything. It's awesome, you know." So that's kind of how I, I look at them. You know, they start developing, and then you can see it. But for me, I—you know—I'm colorblind too, so it doesn't help. So uh, let me read to you Psalms 46. There are some amazing things about the psalm that uh, I'll, I'll, you know, just kind of give you the pastor wonk stuff, you know, where I kind of break down the psalms, and then we'll look at it through the lens of conflict. God is a refuge and strength and an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its uh, waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, There's a river whose streams may glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her and she will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in an uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. And the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolation that he's brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. As we look at this, let me just kind of break it down and let you know that um, uh, just this first Um, word lets us know that this is a God-centered psalm, starts out with God. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. And so this is a a psalm when you're in trouble, especially when you're in conflict. Uh, One of the things about it, God being in the center, if we just break down the psalm, there's 11 verses and there's three sections. Uh, The three sections are divided by this Hebrew word called Salah. And we don't know what it means, but there's three of them. You know, at the end of verse 3, Salah. At the end of verse 7, Salah. At the end of the the Psalm, Salah. We think that it might be a musical interlude, but even. Uh, Jewish scholars have no idea really what the Salah is. It could be a musical interlude. If you know they had rock music at the time, this is when a, a guitar solo happens, you know. If this was jazz, you know, this is when maybe the saxophone would have a, a solo. Uh, you know, if it was, you know, like in the ancient Greek days and they had a, a, a vocal chorus, you know, then they would, you know, break into some kind of a, a, of a chant or a, a refrain, but we don't know what Salah means. Uh, The other thing, it has 11 verses, English verses, um, it also has uh, 11 times it uses the name of God. So it really is calling upon God. It's really crying out. It's when you're really in trouble, you're really in conflict. There's a struggle going on, a war that's happening, and you are really in trouble and you call upon his name. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's uh, different names for God uh, in the Hebrew in the Old Testament. So in this psalm, uh, Elohim is the first one. It's uh, God, G-O-D, and uh, it's used seven times. Elohim is the, the great God, the the God in the storm, the God uh, who's in creation. Uh, he's uh, Elohim is used for the name of God uh, in the creation of the, uh, the creation account of Genesis one. In the beginning, God Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And then Yahweh is used um, one time, and that's uh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. At least in the version that I'm using, and most versions identify that. And uh, I I pronounce it Yahweh but we don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, They've lost the pronunciation. Uh, the, The name of God, especially this personal name, Yahweh, is so important. Uh, that they felt that it should never be pronounced because it was so sacred. So they lost how we pronounce it. And then when the Jewish scholars, the Masoretes, uh, put vowel pointings into the Old Testament, vowel pointings is that in the Hebrew language there is no vowels, or no written vowels. So there's these little dots and dashes that tell you what the vowels are and how to pronounce it. Uh, When the Masoretes uh, translated it, and the Masoretes were in the 8th century, uh, 8 centuries after Christ, um, they did not put uh, the vowel points for um, Yahweh. As Yahweh, they put the vowel pointings for Adonai, which is another name for God, like Sir or Master. So we don't know how to pronounce it. There's some that pronounce it Jehovah. Uh, There's some that say Yahweh. Uh, it could be Yahoo, but we do not know what the name is. So uh, that's used once. And then Yahweh Saba, uh, which is Lord Almighty. Yahweh Almighty, you know, the God of of the battle, the God that's in control, the God that has, you know, uh, a thousand hosts of angels, that he can call up an army of angels. Uh, this is uh, just an amazing one. So the Lord Almighty uh, is used two times, and then and this wonderful name Elion, which is most high, and this is like the highest uh, that the highest that you can ever go, the highest you can even think of God. this is higher than that, this is the uttermost height that God is, and he 's the highest in our thinking he 's the highest. In creation, He's the highest. In sustaining creation, He's the highest. In salvation, He's the highest. In providence, He is the great God El and it's translated in, in in the NIV, the one that I'm using, the New International Version, which is uh, Most High God, Most High. It's a very respectful name. It's just this awesome name, and so it's used 11 times, calling on the name of God, talking about God. And uh, the first thing I want to point out in making this kind of what we're really talking about is conflict. When we're in conflict and we're in some kind of a struggle, Uh, It's described here in verse 2 and verse 3 as cataclysmic events in nature. It's described as tsunami. It is described as hurricane. It's described as earthquake. Uh, It is described as possibly a volcano. It is just like the worst things that could possibly happen. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth give way, though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, the waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. The worst possible things, and especially, uh, this is a a psalm for Israel, and this is a psalm for Israel's capital, where the the temple is, where God is in the Holy of Holies. This is the idea of when they're attacked, when there's a, a war that's happening. But for our purposes, the struggle that we are in in our daily lives. And there's all kinds of conflict. Uh, there's um, relational conflict. I don't know if you ever had that. I'm sure you guys don't have any relational conflict or family conflict or marriage conflict. You know, maybe the first service, they have all the problems and all the good people are here. And uh, there's no... Um, no uh, work conflicts. Maybe there's some work conflicts that you work with someone that you can't stand, or they can't stand you, or you have a boss that doesn't get it, or you have a boss that's not a leader, or you know you've got employees that don't work hard. You know, just all kinds of conflict. And then there's spiritual conflict. There's a spiritual warfare going on. And you know, Ephesians six twelve says that our fight is um, and our struggle is not flesh and blood but actually it's against rulers against authorities against powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms and many times when we in struggles you know it feels like this emotional thing that happens now my my brother-in-law came home from work and this is years ago and his first wife had left him but she didn't like mention you know really that she was leaving she just left him and then called him from the airport, I'm never coming back and he was just like sick and uh, we had grown up in real legalistic Christian homes legalistic church, you know, there's all kinds of rules, you can't drink, can't smoke can't go to the movies, can't chew can't go with girls that do uh, you can't do cards, no dancing you know, I remember, you know, just we weren't allowed to dance I remember in my 7th grade you know, standing at the door of the gym watching all these 7th graders at a sock hop which, which is a dance back then, watching this dance, you know, and just knowing they are being wicked but it sure looked like fun you know and it was just uh, all these rules and one of the rules is that we just never had divorce and we never had married problems and uh, my brother-in-law he was just he couldn't even tell anyone for a couple of weeks he didn't say anything and then he came home from work one day and he knew something was wrong the screen door was broken it's like someone had broken in he opened up the door and everything in his house had been stolen and his ex-wife had taken, or soon-to-be ex-wife had taken, where their brothers and her dad had come, and they'd taken a U-Haul and loaded up everything they had, emptied the bank accounts, and went to another state. And he had to call out to family, you know, and he was just absolutely broken. But when he opened that door and saw everything, stole, just like his whole stomach, he just I remember him telling you, his whole stomach, his whole life came crashing in and... This feeling, the mountains fall into the heart of the sea and the waters roar and foam and mountains quake with their surging. It's just like your whole world is rocked in conflict. That's what we're really talking about. And people have these terrible things that go and happen. And many times, when we are in the midst of conflict, in the midst of relational war struggle that we're going through, it, there's different ways that people fight. I don't know if you know this or not, but some people have the impulse to hit back. Um, there's um, uh, anger. Sometimes there's wrath. You know, uh, my daughter, who's just like the you know uh, George's do- uh, sister. Katie, she's like one of the most wonderful, sweetest, you just can't believe how nice she is, up until a point. <laughs> and uh, we had a nephew that uh, we took into our home, and his parents had passed away, and he was getting used to us. And we took a summer to kind of get used to each other. And, you know, he was like a guest for, you know, about six weeks. He was a guest. Maybe it was two months. Everyone treated him nice, but we were on the extended camping trip and we had this really nice Sunday where we went to a church that, in a beach town, and everyone got treated good. The kids didn't want to go, but Elaine and I wanted to go. And we were at the beach town that we had honeymooned in, and we're trying to put our family together. And, you know, um, and one of the really cool things, they had a youth group, and they had a youth Sunday school, and they served donuts. You know, and Katie had her special donut, her favorite donut. And um, her nephew, our nephew, her cousin, uh, when we got in the car, reached over and grabbed her donut out of the hand and stuffed the whole thing in his mouth, you know. And oh my goodness, you talk about crossing the wrong boundary. And she slapped him so hard. I'd never seen her slap him so hard. She's only like four foot ten, you know, and she just slapped him, you know, and he just had this red, you know, fingerprints on his hand, you know, and she just hit back. And she burst into tears, and then he looked at me, and he goes, Uncle George, you know, like, what are you going to do? And I said, you know, I wouldn't wouldn't ever touch her food again. (laughs) Yeah, there's just uh, different ways that people fight, you know, and one of them is to hit back, and other ones is anger, and other ones wrath, and screaming, and shouting, and And then there's other ones, the silent treatment, you know, the silent treatment, you know, where people won't talk to you for two or three days. And we, when we were first married, we called that the senso game. And and I told Elaine, I said, don't ever do that to me. Don't become passive aggressive and get silent, you know. And is something wrong? No, you know. And it was so weird because when we were first married, something happened, you know. And I gave Elaine the silent treatment. And... I'd always seen it on sitcoms and reading in books. You know, it's kind of like women do that, but I was the one that did it, and I'd get real quiet, and she goes, something wrong? Nope, nothing's wrong, you know? And then she says, you are giving me the silent treatment. You are the senso game person. And I realized, oh my goodness, this is just awful way to fight. Passive aggressive, other people just argue, and they have to win, you know, and they're just arguing, and they can never concede, and then other people do name calling. Like, one of the things that we said When we got married, we made rules of fighting, and one of them was no name calling and no name calling uh, of the relatives. You know, we weren't allowed to say, you know, you're just like your mother or you're just like your dad. You know, just they never do that, and then never get revenge. You know, and then the other one is there's some people when you get into a battle with them, they're going to win at all cost. You know, when you get into a battle, Elaine would always ask the kids, she would ask me in the middle of a struggle, "Are, are. Uh, What's your goal? What is your goal? And I remember one time going, you know, I was so frustrated. I just said, to win. My goal is to win, you know. And she goes, I concede. You win. And I said, no, I don't win when you just concede. That's not the way you do it. And there's just some people that they would like, almost like to fight, and they want to fight. And this is one of the secrets in much of the church in North America. If you've never heard this before, other people, you've heard this before, but Christians, this is how they fight. You can write this down and see if this isn't true. Number one, Christians ask. And most of the time, they ask nicely. They ask you nicely. And then they demand. Many times it's with a smile. They ask, and then they demand. The next thing they do is they judge Even though we're not supposed to judge as Christians, they judge. And then the next one is they punish. And what's really uh, interesting about Christians is because, you know, we know God. God is on our side. We have the Holy Spirit living in us, you know. So we must be right. And so we ask, we demand, we judge, and then we punish. And it can happen like boom to boom. Ask to, uh, to punish like that. Just have someone cut you off in the meridian, you know, and then wave at you with one finger, you know, and you just go from asking, I just ask people to drive politely, I just ask people to, you know, when it get, turns green, to go ahead and, and not wait for a different shade, and step on the gas, you know, you just ask, and then you demand, and then you judge, and then you punish, and next thing you know, you're racing down the meridian, and you cut them off, and you give them a look, you know, and, and, you, and your wife just kind of looks at you and goes, what is wrong with you, and like, you. You are crazy, you know, and there's just something that, you know, we do that. We ask, we demand, we judge, and we punish. Here's a secret in relational relations, especially um, moving towards marriage and marriage, never go beyond asking. Just make a rule in your heart never go beyond asking. Don't demand, don't judge, don't punish, and you will have a great marriage. You just ask. It's one of the hardest things in the world to do for people who want to win, and want things, and want to control things. But if you want to be happy, never go beyond asking. It's just the most amazing thing. Never go beyond asking. If you have a teenager, this is the hardest thing in the world. Don't go beyond asking. You just look at that messy room, and you close the door. That's what Elaine told me. Just, just, just close the door. Just don't even look. And I just go, it's my house. This is my house, my rules. She's, They're teenagers. They'll grow out of it. Maybe. Just close the door. <laughs> So anyway, I think I probably have talked enough about conflict. You know what I'm talking about. So um, uh, let me uh, transition into uh, what do you do with it? You know, how do you, how do you unpack uh, conflict? And how do you do it um, with the Psalms? How do you do it with God at the center? So uh, the next thing I want to talk to you about is um, the idea that God is at the center Uh, That he is where the holy place is, and he is where uh, that peace that comes. And in verse 4 through uh, verse 7, it just kind of like switches. You know, he's talking about these cataclysmic events, you know, and earthquakes and tsunamis and, you know, waters roaring and mountains falling into the sea, and then all of a sudden he switches to... This picture of Jerusalem and especially where the temple is and the Holy of Holies and and where God dwells. And he says, there's a river whose streams may glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. And God is within her. He's in the temple. Back then, he resided in the Holy of Holies. God will help her at the break of day. He'll handle it. He'll do it. And the most amazing thing is, we're in the new covenant age. We're in the age of of grace, and so this is the idea that God's location is now in our hearts. That God resides with people, lives inside of people, and uh, there's this idea that there's a river of life that flows out of us. There's a river of life that flows in us and through us. And John 14 talks about you know Jesus being in us and. And making his home in us and the Holy Spirit being inside of us and flowing out of us. And it is one of the most uh, remarkable things that God is very much in the center. And then the other thing I wanted to point out is at the end of describing that God is still, you know, the center. He's the high one. He's great. He's the most high. There's this refrain that's used both in verse 7 and verse 11. And the refrain is a verse that we can use to remind us that God is with us. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Verse 11. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And this refrain is very similar to the refrain that's used in a Star Wars movie that I really like. I love Star Wars movies. I came from a, a real uh, hard-shell Baptist background where you weren't allowed to go to movies. didn't see my first movie till I was like 10 years old. I think we saw The Sound of Music. And, you know, uh, we went in there, and the carpet was red, and the curtains were red, and I just knew that this was a den of iniquity, and I entered in there, and... <laughs> And then, you know, the place got really dark and, you know, and then the lights came up and I just knew that verse, you know, that said, you know, the, the evil men do their deeds in darkness, you know, and here we were sitting in the dark watching this beautiful thing and I knew I was being seduced into an era of wickedness and it was just so wrong. But boy, that was a good movie and, you know, I just love movies and I like Star Wars and one of the ones is the Rogue One. How many have seen Rogue One? Okay, six people. That's awesome, you know. So there's this one character in Rogue One uh, that he's blind, and they say he's not a Jedi, but boy, he sure acts like a Jedi, and he has all the karate kind of moves, and he can get into conflict and see people that aren't, he's blind, shouldn't be able to, but he can sense them, whatever it is. Uh, whenever he's in these uh, tense situations, he has this refrain that he says, I'm one with the force, the force is with me. I'm one with the force, the force is with me. I'm one with the force, the force is with me. And that concept has found its way into our 21st century and into our movies. And here it is, uh, thousands, thousands of years earlier, there is the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And you're probably wondering, why does he use the name of Jacob? And Jacob is one of the patriarchs, one of the fathers of Israel. There's Abraham, then his son Isaac, and then Jacob. And Jacob is just this sneaky, conniving, you know, he's always in conflict and struggles, always in fighting, and and then he has this one scene, you know, where he actually wrestles with the angel of God, and in my personal opinion, it's uh, Yahweh's uh, son, Jesus. It's the pre-incarnate Christ, and they're wrestling, and then there's this moment where uh, his name is changed by the angel from Jacob Israel, to Israel. It means the God-striver, the one that wrestles with God. And so there's this idea that this is the the psalm of conflict. This is the psalm of when we are in warfare and striving, even if it's an internal uh, striving that we're going through. And this is the idea uh, of God being there and being the one and us centered on him. And then uh, there's these wonderful verses that I have memorized. And I love this idea that God makes conflict to cease. And this is really a different way to handle conflict or struggle. But hear me out. You don't have to go this way, but hear me out. Notice it says uh, in verse 9 and 10, He makes wars to cease. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And uh, there's this really amazing thing that he is the one that brings the wars to an end. And when he says he makes wars to cease, if you underline that word cease, it's the Hebrew word that is Sabbath or Shabbat. And it means stop. Come to an end, peace, rest, and God brings wars to an end. So when I'm in some kind of a struggle or are am into, into prayer for someone who's in a terrible conflict or struggle, I pray constantly, God, you make the war to cease. You break the bow. You shatter the spear. You burn the shield. You do it. You vindicate. You defend. You're at the center. I am. My enemy is too much for me. You do it, oh God. I can't live with the stress or the fret. And then uh, the the next verse is like the most amazing verse. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. Um, This psalm is almost like climbing a mountain. You know, there's this you know god is in the center and then he describes the conflict you know the, the mountains falling into the sea and waves and surging and drowning and it's just like you're in so much panic and then you remember that god is is the one and he's in his holy place and he's in his dwelling and now we're in the new covenant age he dwells in us and we remember god and then we cry out to him you bring the war to an end and then notice it's in quotes verse 10 Be still and know that I am God. And then it ends, I will be exalted at the end. Quote, unquote. God breaks into this psalm. And there's very few psalms where God breaks in. Most of the psalms are us praying to him. Laments and praises. But here, God breaks through. And he says in command form, imperatives. Be still and know that I am God. And that word, if you underline be still, means Cease stop quit let go relax quiet down grow slack release be calm relax be still It's the idea of having an unanxious Presence, that you become silent in your soul, almost a soul silence, and you go to rest inside because you don't have to worry about it anymore. It's his job. You don't become shrill, you become chill. That's an old 90s word. I probably shouldn't use that. I had a friend who, uh, you know, he was a policeman and he would use chill with perps, you know, you know chill or you're going go to you're gonna go to jail, buddy, you know, chill, you know, and uh, his wife, every so often, she'd get a little ballistic and he would say chill to her and she would really go ballistic, you know, <laughs> and one time he said that to her and she just went ballistic and, and she said, don't you ever, ever use that word chill, I'm not one of your perps, and he goes, chill, you know, Wah! you know, it was just like so funny, and, and so it really is this idea that you in the midst of conflict you become centered on God and you be still and not only still not only relax not only having that unanxious presence but you know that he is God you know you realize he's God he's the Most High Elion. he is the Lord God Almighty he brings the war to cease he breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the shields. He's in control. He's sovereign. And you let him do it. And boy, when you first practice that, you will, you will be amazed and you will also struggle because it's like anything. You have to practice it. It is the most amazing thing to be still and know that I am God. And in the midst of it, you just relax. There's another verse. If you want to write this down, it's this another great verse that has the be still. Uh, Psalm 37. This is for people who fret or have anxiety or worry. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. Do not be anxious. Do not worry. It only leads to evil. Be still. And know that I am God. It's just so awesome. Psalm 62.1 says, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. My father-in-law um, is uh, 93. I think he's 93. And uh, one thing he taught me in his 20s uh, about prayer is that God knows everything, even the most practical stuff. And in our family... Uh, we're like the loud family you know I don't know if you are a loud family if you're a quiet family it's good you know. but if you come to our family you're kind of a loud family you know uh, Elaine will say will you tell the kids dinner's ready dinner's ready you know and they go, we're coming you know and it's just like Elaine's like oh you know she, she could hardly stand it and then when Aaron joined our family and married my uh, daughter Kate you know he was like you know a quiet you know, person it came from a quiet family and we're playing card games you know I've really broken my uh, Baptist you know thing so we were playing cards and, and uh, you know and we're sitting and we're laughing and we're loud and, and he just I, I'm not used to this when he first started Dating, He says, I have to go take a quiet break, you know. It was just like, it was so amazing how loud we are. We're just so, so loud. And this idea of rest and quiet is the opposite of us. But I find that it's super sauce for conflict. It is amazing. So here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. Um, Oh, I didn't tell you about my father-in-law. Let me tell you about my father-in-law. So anyway, um, he taught me something. Anyway, I have to tell you this. Um, In our family, being the Loud family, if someone loses their keys, you know, they misplace their keys. How many have ever misplaced their keys and then you just kind of so frustrated looking for it? Six of you guys. Same six. It's all the movie. Okay. So... um, Uh, we just, you know, I just get so impatient, you know, where's my keys? You got to help me find my keys. And my dad used to do that. He modeled it for me. Where's my keys? You know, I got to find my keys, you know, and start looking for the keys, you know, and my brother, you know, he got so good at just pretending to look for it. He just, you know, he'd go like this. And one time my dad just stopped and said, what are you doing? And he says, Uh, nothing he said exactly you're supposed to be looking for my keys you know I was pretending to look for your keys it was just like so ballistic and and my father-in-law misplaced his keys and he needed to be somewhere and he says stop wait let's stop for a second he says let's pray and Jesus will tell us where the keys are and he just had this like totally unanxious presence I'd never seen this before about things that I just would just get so uptight about and he would just say Lord Jesus you know where the keys are Help me to find them. Bring it back to uh, my memory if I've placed them somewhere. uh, And uh, just help me to find the keys. And um, I just was like looking at him like, this is just crazy. And... uh, and then he'd go, oh, I know where they are. And then he went he said, Lord, show me where they were. And he got them. One time we were on a hike and he misplaced a pocket knife. You know, And he couldn't find his pocket knife. And it was like a day later. And he said, I can't find my pocket knife. And he said, let me ask Jesus. He said, Jesus, you know where my pocket knife is. I've had it for a long time. I don't want to lose it. You know exactly where it is? Reveal where it is. Oh, God. I'm looking at your, my, you know, my wife, Elaine, like, you're dead nuts, you know? <laughs> and uh, a few minutes later, he goes, oh, I, I know where I put it on the hike. I, I stopped. Remember when we stopped and we had a drink of water and we stopped at one rock? I said, no. He says, I do. And so they went back there and there it was. There was his pocket knife. And there's a lot of people that they don't really realize that in any kind of struggle, even really practical things, you can just be silent and turn it over to him. So here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. In the middle of conflict, in the middle of conflict, whatever strife, whatever conflict you know, you're going through or happen to go through, um, what if everyone in the room, every single one of us, even, even if you have not stepped into Christ yet, I mean, you've been listening uh, you're, on your spiritual journey, you, you, maybe you haven't even committed to God yet, but you're really listening and you, you can almost hear God's voice tugging at your heart. And even if you haven't made that step and you're back here, if you tried this, you might make that step. But what if every one of us, when we're in conflict, especially in the middle of conflict, that we started to say that refrain and we added just a little bit to it and we said... And changed the end just a little bit. And said, he makes the wars to cease. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the shields. Be still and know that you are God. The Lord Almighty is with me. The Lord Jesus is my fortress. The Lord Almighty is with me. The Lord Jesus is my fortress. You just became still. For some people, they need to do it in the shower. Some people take a bath. Some people take a walk to be still. Some people put their earbuds in and they listen to some music to be still. But with all the noise and all the conflict and all the busy and the hurry, this is the opposite of our culture. But if everyone in the room this week, this week, every one of you, this is the challenge. You actually... Maybe print it out, just those few verses. and Put it in your wallet or put it in your pocket, put it in your purse. You pull that out. When you're in the conflict, instead of entering into it, you turn to him. Amen? And let me pray for you. Before I do, I wanted to let you know that we try to have pastors in the back, and we'll pray for you. And I will actually be there. I'm kind of substituting for my son. and. Uh, we're excited about uh, Wesley, and it's just really awesome, but uh, if you have uh, even internal conflict going on in your life, and you'd like just someone to pray, even a quick prayer, uh, I'll be back there, there'll be others back there, and just don't hesitate to come up, uh, and we'll pray for you. Uh, let's stand, and let me pray for you, and I think we're going to worship after I get done praying. Father God, we love you. We love you. We know that you're the Lord God Almighty. You are Yahweh Elohim. You are merciful and mighty. You are holy God, and yet you love it when we turn to you. We pray that you would give us an ability to be still and to relax and to let go. We pray that you would give us at the very center of our hearts that soul silence. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Help us to worship with all our hearts right now.